morning. When Earl asked me if I would fill his pulpit, I said, you've got to be kidding me. Um, I'll be honest with you, I don't do well with one message. Uh, I have only been preaching in this church, period. I've been here for 12 years, and I've always taught what is called textual thematic exposition. I start at the beginning of a text, and I crank through the text. And so I always know where I'm going and how I'm supposed to get there. So when somebody says, can you deliver a message? I'm like, what? (laughs) And I think if I drop back into, I'm dealing with varieties, the word varieties and spiritual gifts, that it probably really wouldn't do you much good. Uh, So it was a, it's a little daunting for me to, uh, to do something like this, but, uh, um, Perhaps the Lord will bless you because it is the exposing of His Word. I want to look at Psalm 19, verses 7 through 14. As you guys are all going to Psalm 19, I'm going to Titus. Okay? I want to set up uh, something for you that I hope will help you. And I'll use Titus 1 as an introduction. But I'm going to ask the Lord to teach us now because... uh, I'm living proof that Balaam's donkey did talk. Father, we come before you for your word. Father, we come to hear from you. Lord, uh, who is adequate? Who is adequate to open the mind of God and share it with humanity? And yet it is through foolishness of the preaching, foolishness of the cross. We gather this day. Father, we have sang praises to you. We have given unto you this day. Father, we beg you now. Feed us from your word. Feed us with the truths of the ages. To your glory, to your praise. Amen. Many years ago, about 18 years ago, I came to salvation in Jesus Christ. And shortly after my salvation, I got ticked off at God. Anybody ever get mad at God? Okay. I thought you got saved and everything worked. Okay, you know. You've been struggling in life, and it all came apart at the seams. And I kept, and I remember one time even telling God that you know I could have screwed it up this way. I didn't need your help. Um, and and it came apart at the seams. And um, a text that Psalms 19 text it is the single greatest impact in my life because he showed me what his word was. I had I was mad at the church. Anybody ever been mad at the church? Okay. I mean, anybody been mad at Christians? Oh, nasty group of people, aren't they? <laughs> they are. And they can be just like little porcupines. They want you to pet them and don't dare touch it. Okay? And when I think about this, uh, Psalms 19 is what the Lord grabbed a hold of my soul and said, you're missing this. It isn't about the Christians. It isn't about the church. I mean, I've been asked to teach in Russia at the end of March. And they said, we want you to teach the doctrine of God. Really? Um, 66 books, and how long do I get? And they said, well, you get six days, 10 hours a day. Hmm. They'll have to listen fast, and everything is 30 minutes longer because you have a translator. Piece of cake. Right? But one of the things that I learned in Russia, this will be my second trip. We've been involved since the fall of socialism is that the people have an overwhelming zeal for the Word of God beyond anything I've ever seen in my life. I've I've never witnessed anything like it before in my life. Uh, I met a Slavic man, great big Slavic man, who preached under communism. And I asked him, I said, since you have freedom now, what is the greatest thing that you have bore witness to? Now, this is a big old, and you've seen them. They're the typical, I look mad because that makes me look strong. And he starts crying. And I said, uh, way to go, Terry. Uh, He he said, I did not realize that I'd been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. I said, what? He says, chapter 1 of Ephesians. I said, you're telling me with the collapse of socialism, chapter 1 of Ephesians is the greatest thing that you've been exposed to? He says, you don't understand. All I had was the gospel of Luke for 30 years under communism. And I said, well, I bet you know Luke. Okay. And I look at the church in America today, 
and it's uh, a little bit of a perplexing to me. And that's why I wanted to start with Titus, and then I'm going to jump right back. So I'm going to talk real fast. I've got to cover a lot of stuff. I've got a couple of people in my church in here. Don't you dare tell these people that I can teach two chapters in one setting. Okay, because they'll think that they won't know. The letter to Titus, beginning in verse 5, says, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I have directed you. The Apostle Paul has two people in the Bible that he calls genuine children of the faith. One is Timothy and one is Titus. Okay? There are two words that you will see in Scripture that are mind-boggling. Diadoskalon, okay, and Eusebius. Didoskelon and Eusebius. There is a quick quiz to get into heaven. If you do not know these two words, you're not getting in. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. Didoskelos shows up 21 times in the New Testament. In New Testament. 15 times it's in the Timothy letters and Titus. Okay. Eusebius shows up 15 times in the New Testament and two or 10 times in the letters to Timothy and Titus. All right? Both of these men are called genuine children of the faith. Both of these men are going back to churches and establishing leadership in how men and women are to conduct themselves in the household of God. And that's summarizing three letters as quick as I can get it done. He tells Titus on the island of Crete, here's what I want you to do. Okay? Didaskalon is the word that you get doctrine from. Okay? Yay, right? I mean, remember that? Doctrine. Well, ain't that what? You go see the physician, all right? And then you hear words like theology. And normal Christian will just glaze out. Doctrine? Ain't that where you get legalism from? But what you will find in these three letters says that If you don't have good doctrine, you'll never have Eusebius, godliness. You better understand that. Okay, and it ain't a matter of being a legalistic. It ain't a matter of being self-righteous. It is a matter of the incarnation of Jesus Christ in the souls of lost people. We've got to understand that. And, And I see the church in America today struggling with this. Why? We don't want doctrine. We have seminaries. You go to seminary to get doctrine. The Bible teaches the church gives doctrine. And if the church isn't given doctrine, you can look at the church and say there isn't godliness. And if there isn't godliness in the body of Christ, then what happens? What lost person wants what you have? You look just like lost people. Here's what he says. As I directed you, if any man is above reproach, the husband of one life, having children who believe and not accused of dispensation or rebellion. Basically, what he does now in verses 6 through 8, it says, let me show you the character of a godly man. Yeah, he should be in leadership. Absolutely. But let me show you the manifestation of what this man should be. He starts with there. He's got to be above reproach. Please understand the word above reproach is not your standard. It's God's standard. Okay. I have seen men in leadership who get accused of all kinds of goofy stuff based on the standard of a lost person. Okay. You and I will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account of what we've done in the body of Christ. Okay. You and I. Okay. You know what's really cool about that? I don't have to stand with you. I like that. You should rejoice that you don't have to stand with me. Okay, I will stand given what I've done in the body of Christ. Why? Am I above reproach? Why? I've given you a power, a power that only spoke existence into being. You need to tap into that power. How do I do that? It will be through doctrine. Don't you hate that word? I, I, I went to school. Oh, I'm going to learn more. I don't want to learn no more. Okay, once I got out of high school, I don't need to learn anymore. You guys beat me up for all these years. Let me out. All right. And I took off and I was ready. Why? I have all my doctrine. But if I am above reproach and it says husband of one wife, it literally means a one woman man. Okay. It ain't got nothing to do with divorce. Sorry. If there is a word in the Greek for divorce, it ain't used here. It's a one woman man. I know men right now who are not divorced, who are not one woman men. Okay. Now, whether they've been caught or whatever, but their hearts aren't where their hearts are supposed to be. 
one woman man. Okay? He goes on and he says they have children who believe. Now, we struggle with that. The literal phrase there in the original language means that they have children who are obedient. Okay? You can't say, well, it's a godly man only if he has believing children. Then what was David? King David had a heart like God's. And he had some bonehead children. Right? Okay? Not accused of dispensation or rebellion. Basically what it is. Rebellion. Dispensation. It means I, I'm just mad all the time. All right, one of my great, he says, verse 7 says, For the overseer must be above reproach as God's stewards, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious. I love the word pugnacious. I don't want to be pugnacious, but I just like that word. It just comes out and says, hey, I'm not pugnacious. It literally means don't, doesn't use his fist. Well, that's probably good, huh? I mean, unless you're a boxer. He goes through, but he's basically talking about the role of an elder, a bishop, an overseer, a pastor. Okay, uh, one of these men are men of character. You should see this. It is manifested. I see it in their lives. I see it in their wives. I see it in their children. I see it the way they respond when they are attacked personally. They're not self-willed. How tough is that? How tough is that? They're not self-willed. They are more concerned. Paul made a comment about young Timothy in Philippians. He says, I have no one else like Timothy. And so whenever I read something like that, I say, I need to pay attention to what he just said here. What did he just say here? I have no one like Timothy who has not his concerns, but only the concerns of the church. Okay? That's amazing thought today. Think about where church is on our list of priorities. As long as it ain't convenient. I watched people come out. Now, I don't know what the temperature was because everything in Russia is in Celsius. And all I know is everything was negative. But I also know that zero is 32 degrees Celsius. But I had to walk from this little apartment that I was in over to the church. And I had my suit on and like to froze my butt off in less than probably 60 yards. And I thought I looked in the parking lot and there were three cars. And I thought, well, the Americans in town and who's coming? All right. I get into this church building. And there is probably 500 to 600 people all packed in and they all walked to church and it was below freezing. Okay, and I'm talking about some elderly people. I mean, they look so elderly. I thought, oh, well, there, she came over with Moses. Okay, <laughs> but, you know, and it may just be harsh living. I mean, in that kind of country, it gets that cold. I looked at those people and all I saw was their greatest desire was the body of Christ. The church. And you know where they got that from? Sound doctrine. Sound doctrine. They have an understanding who God is. They have an understanding who God is. They immerse themselves in the word of God. All the time. And they will tell me, they said, you know, the problem with the churches in America? In America, you add Jesus to your life. He says, we, Christ is life. And we do do that. We do that. People ask me, so, well, what do you do to study? I read it. It's an interesting concept. You know, I see people buying, you know, I've got 19 different computer programs for the, you know what? I hate computers. Paul never used a computer. Okay. And he seemed to have done really well. The other thing is I use a pencil and paper and my battery never dies. Okay. And it, my pencil and paper never says there's been an error. An error. All right. Why? I immerse myself in the body of Christ. Please, I really wish, I really hope you hear me on this. I'm not an educated man. I've never been to Bible college. I've never been to seminary or anything like that. People say, well, how'd you do that? I read my Bible every day. Why? Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from God. When I teach a book right now, I'm teaching 1 Corinthians. I'm preparing to teach 2 Corinthians. Every day I read 1st and 2nd Corinthians. Okay, now, what's the big deal with that? Well, I am three years in 1st Corinthians, and I've read 1st Corinthians every day for three years. I'm not saying that to brag to you. I'm saying that if you're going to do something for the Lord Jesus Christ, you might want to know what he's into. I see too many people today who don't take the time to read the Bible. We'll read books about the Bible, which is fine. Okay, that's great. But how do you know it's true? I set out years ago to prove a 
contradiction in scriptures. I know, you was wanting a more godly thinking experience, weren't you? Well, we thought he was just a man of God and just, you know, and had something. No, man, I wanted to find an error. I started out reading the Bible because all I need to do is find one contradiction and I can throw this sucker away. I'm still looking. I'm going to keep looking. Here's what he says. He is hospitable, loving, is good, sensible, devout, just, and self-controlled. Right? That is a godly man. That is godliness manifested. That is the character. It can be seen. You see it. It's all around you. You just sit there and go, wow, look, you can see it. It stands out completely different than the world. Think about it. If you can be self-willed, you're different than the the world is self-willed. If you're not self-willed, you're already different than the world. And the world looks at you and either they're going to say, I want what you got or you're crazy and alone. Every pulpit in Russia has a, a, a phrase on it that comes out of Corinthians that says, we preach Christ and him crucified. Every pulpit. And I'm sitting there going, well, what does that mean? Well, it's through the foolishness of the cross that we got saved. And so their whole focus is to preach Christ and him crucified. We all sit there and believe that, but do we believe the rest of this thing? Here's why you see a man of God. Okay, now, now, oh, uh, this is still introduction. You're like, gee whiz. All right. He holding fast. Verse 9, holding fast the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching. There's that doctrine thing. Holding fast to the faithful word so that he will be able to exhort and sound. Oh, there it is again. Doctrine. I mean, twice in one sentence. Why? If you want to see godliness, you will find somebody who has sound doctrine. You see ungodliness, guess what you have? Bad doctrine. And you know what? In America, most part of I believe, is just we don't know. We carry a Bible around. I don't know what's in it. Hey, I used to be a very nasty person before I got saved. And I used to carry a Bible with me everywhere I went. It was like my rabbit's foot. It was. I carried it around. Why? It's just in case. Now, if something goes wrong here, I'm going to read me some scripture. Okay? But I, I just carry it with me. All right? Just in case. And I used to be an awful person. I see Christians who are no different. They carry that thing around, and I ask them, you ever read it? No. I mean, I, I used to think it was bad to write in them. You're not allowed to write in them. Why not? I don't know. Somebody just seems like I shouldn't be allowed to. Okay, did anybody tell you that? No, I just don't make sure I'm not going to step into that one. And then a guy told me, he says, no, you can write in them. Verse 10. I'm going to show you that, okay? Verse 9 says, they hold fast. No, it means cling on to, to faithful word. What? It was in according to the doctrine so that we were both that you'll be able to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. All right. Verse 10 says, now he's talking about the church for there are many rebellious men, empty talkers. I like that. You know what that means? They say a lot for no apparent reason. Literally, it's what it means. They talk a lot for no apparent reason. You know why? What are they not holding on to? Sound doctrine. Sound doctrine. Give me the scriptures. If not, then shh. All right? He says, especially those of the circumcision. Must be silenced, he says. How do you silence them? Sound doctrine. I have to know what the Bible says. You know why we have to know what the Bible says? It goes all the way back to Genesis 2. Did you know that? Here's the statement. Has God said? Has he said? And you just watch Christians go, I don't know. Remember, he helps those who help themselves, right? That's from the great prophet Ben Franklin. Okay, I don't know what book he wrote. Well, I do. I went into the almanac. Yeah. You see what I'm trying to get at? We hear stuff and we think, well, it was from a pastor. It must be from the Bible. It's not. 
It's not. We really got to pay attention to this. Why? If Paul was concerned about it with Timothy and Titus, how's come we're not? How's come we're not? He goes on and says this. He talks about the Cretans, one of themselves, a prophet of their own, says the Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. I didn't say it. One of their prophets said it. All right. He goes on to say this. He just goes through paying attention to the Jews, the myths and commandments of men to turn away from the truth. Same word, doctrine. Okay. To the pure, all things are pure. To those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, both in their mind or their conscience. Verse 16, we need to pay attention to this when they profess to know God. The word know there is to come into an intimate relationship with. All right? Intimate relationship with. How important is that? In the Gospel of John, chapter 17, verse 3, you want to, he says this is eternal life. What's eternal life? Going to heaven? No. To know the true God. Intimate relationship with the true God. How are you going to do that? Sound doctrine. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. we got to get a hold of this. This is crucial. The church is dying. The church is dying. We believe, well, let's do I want to learn theology. I'll go to school to learn theology. What happened to the church? What happened to the church? Why are there divisions in the body of Christ today? Peace cake. No sound doctrine. I feel this way. I think this way. I believe this way. What are you basing that on? Sound doctrine. Sound doctrine. I listen to the arguments that I hear among the saints, and all I'm saying is nobody's reading the book. And you know what? I, I've got to stay with men because I am one. We don't read instructions for nothing. And you get a new toy for your kid for Christmas and you spend 19 hours and really test your spiritual maturity trying to put together something that has written instructions. And you just don't want to do it. Well, I'll figure it out. Okay? We don't ask for directions. Why? There's enough gas. I'll find this. God says you can't. You can't. There's none who seek after me. No, not one. You can't find me with a map. And you guys are all carrying around maps. You're carrying your Bibles. Bless your hearts. But you don't ever read the thing. But they, ha- they profess to know God. Then here comes the one that everybody hates to hear today. But by their deeds, they deny him. They are being detestable, disobedient, worthless. But as for you, now back to Titus, speak things that are fitting for sound doctrine. How cool is that? I'm thinking he's got a point here. What do you think? Now, that was the introduction. Now I want to go to uh, Psalm 19, verse 7. How important is this? Verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect. I like that translation. This is New American Standard. It's only perfect. Okay, I like that. It's not close. It's not, you know, you get this and everything else is going to... No, it is only perfect. Now, do we know what the law of the Lord is? Law of the Lord is that same word like doctrine. It's like (laughs) legalism. Well... If that's what you want to believe, fine, because it's only perfect. It's only perfect. Okay, how perfect is it? It restores the soul. Now think about that for a second. Because you are of the seed of Adam. Okay, you know what that means. You're born man and woman. Okay, you know, I hear people saying, if, if I could just figure out which of my relatives caused me to be this way, it was Adam. Okay, now we got that dealt with. All right, all right. You know, when you see him, one right on the beak, walk on in. All right, you don't have to worry about it. You don't have to worry about it. It's, it's a piece of cake, you know. Everybody says, what about Eve? I ain't messing with her. <laughs> I, I ain't, no, no. He did it willingly, and I'm not going to get into the other part. Okay, but right? 
All right, so I have this gene pool problem. It is of my nature to be disobedient to God and to rebel against God, to be separated from God. And he says, only the law of the Lord will perfect that. He's going to fix it. How? Sound doctrine. Sound doctrine. Why would we try something else? I mean, I can camp right there on this text. I mean, that text, it will only restore the soul. And I have never met a human being who doesn't need restoration in their soul. And the law of the Lord will do that. But I'll move on because I do want to cover some more. The testimony of the Lord. You know what the testimony means? I'm speaking forth. Okay? Which would be the Word of God. The law of the Lord is the Word of God. The testimony of the Lord is the Word of God. You get that? Look what it says. Testimony of the Lord is sure. You know what that means, right? You can't knock it down. It is stable. It sets fast. Brother here, uh, roofs. I've done some roofing before. And sometimes I'm not sure. Okay, I remember a roofer I was working with one time uh, out east. And he was just going along with his nail gun. Bam, 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 bam. Walked right off the edge of this sucker. And three floors down, hit the backfield. And I was looking at him going, yo, you all right? Wow, that was weird. I was like, weird? You should have been up here watching. Okay, why? You walked off of the sure roof and found the sure ground. Okay, both of them are extremely stable. But you need to kind of do it in increments. Okay, that's why God created ladders. Okay, why? It will only make wise the simple. Where does wisdom come from? From God. True wisdom only comes from God. The rest of it is what? Man's opinion. Man thinks this will happen. I mean, man has concluded that we're billions and billions of years old, and that don't work, so we're going to add a few more billion years on it, and then they're convinced that the global warming is going to kill us anyway. So what the heck is the big deal? I don't understand that. And then you can line up as many men on one side and say the world is getting ready to burn up, and you can line up the other group and say, no, it's cooling off, and then you've got a whole bunch of people standing in the middle going, well, I don't know. Well, I read the end of the Bible. It will burn up. Jesus is going to make a mess of this place. Okay? And I'm not going to worry about it. But that is only true. It's only true. It's only true. Why? It makes wise the simple. Uh, Let's be realistic. When it came to the things of God, most of us were what? Simple. All right. Verse 8. The precepts of the Lord are right. You know what? They rejoice the heart. Okay, you know what the precepts are, right? That's the understandings of God. These are His principles, His precepts. Do you know what you know what they'll do for you? They'll rejoice the heart. I like rejoice. I like rejoice better than I do happiness. Okay, happiness means it's based on happenstance. Okay, something happens and I'm oh, I'm happy. Right? As a preacher, I was happy when the Broncos got beat out of the playoffs. Why? Because everybody was gone. We were waiting for the Super Bowl. I was like, who's going to watch it now? Okay, all of you who moved from the Midwest. But anyway, um, but you see what I'm trying to get at? Happiness is fleeting. But the precepts of the Lord will only instill from where? The heart. That's where I'm at. You know, God is a God of the mind. Did you know that? He communicates and he deals with your brain. We may call it the heart, okay? That's the seed of my emotions. That's where I think at. That's where that my wife doesn't even, isn't even allowed to go, okay? You know, you just dole that out. And she does the same. Come on. We're all guilty of this. There's things that are in your heart that you just, shh. Why? That's where the Lord works. He comes out of that and he deals with your conscience. Why? Because he's got to deal with the core of the being of the person it is. Who, what do you deal with that? It's like operating system on your computers, right? You can have the greatest computer in the world, but if you haven't got an operating system, what do you got? A table weight. When you came to salvation, guess what? He says, I need to change the operating system. Why? Because I'm going to show you what rejoicing of the heart is. That's why you can see Christians in awful circumstances have this goofy grin on their face. 
Why? I'm at peace. You watch a true child of God. He goes in. I had to go in for some tests this week. Okay, and I, I was going to share it with a couple of people. I said, just pray about that. And they said, well, you know, it's, this is your liver and all the rest. I said, hey, when I was young, I thought the liver was there to be abused. Okay, and hey, what the heck? And aren't you concerned? No, I'm not. What about your wife? She wasn't concerned. Why? <laughs> she probably, never mind. Uh, <laughs> please, please, please. No. <laughs> I've been carrying in this. No, no never mind. She didn't think that, did you? No. <laughs> anyway, why? Because there's a joy. What if he had come back and said, you know what? You have cancer. You know what a true child of God says? Dude, I see the finish line. Why? I have a rejoicing in the heart that only came from the precepts of God. People say, what's heaven like? I don't know. There ain't no sin. That's all I can tell you. I have no idea what that really means. I've always messed with sin. I mean, I, I, you just bump into it everywhere, don't you? You turn the TV on. You can walk down the street. You can just anywhere. It's always there. And heaven doesn't have that. I think that would be good. What do you think? Move on. Commandment of the Lord is pure. It enlightens the eyes. When God says, I want you to be this way, what is the first response? There's that legalism junk again. Gee whiz, here we go. Really? Do you ever think maybe it enlightens the eyes? Do you ever think that maybe it can take what you're trying to struggle with and make it clear and say, here, I need to be doing this? Why? Oh, uh, when I came to salvation, I didn't see anything wrong with being proud to be an American. Okay? I mean, we're in a war right now. I'm proud to be an American. Okay, uh, my dad was a 26-year Marine. I'm into it, right? Do you know that is the reason that Satan got kicked out of heaven? Was pride? Oh, wait, then I guess maybe pride is kind of a bad thing. Well, it was for Satan. How do you learn that? The word of the Lord, the commandments of the Lord. Yeah, you know what the word is in Hebrew? Commandments. But I don't like that. That's obey. Commandments, obey, that's sort of mean and nasty. And God is, you know, God in the New Testament is a lot nicer than the God of the Old Testament. Really? Well, yeah, in the Old Testament, they, the ground opened up, swallowed a bunch of people. That's, you know, he doesn't do that now. Really? What do you think Ananias and Sapphira thought? Okay. They sold a piece of land, didn't tell God exactly what they gave for it. And they verbalized something and God struck them dead. Hmm. Well, that was God. That wasn't Jesus. Really? What did you just do? You became a Mormon. Okay, do you see what I'm trying to get at? Yeah, there are things when I look at the Bible and I just sit there and go, oh, why did I read that? Okay, because see, I could cruise around on the sin of ignorance. I don't know what it says. All right, and just da 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 da. Okay, but every once in a while you stumble into the Bible and all of a sudden you say, this is a commandment. And you think, well, how, how cool is that? I was reading a thing on Martin Luther. Martin Luther used to, now he was a monk before he got saved. He was a monk. Now you understand, this is the 1500s. It ain't like he's got cable TV or, you know, things that he can get into trouble with. But in the morning, he would get up and all the monks would have confession. All right? And it was very common for Martin Luther to spend five hours in confession. And I'm thinking, five hours? It, sun goes down, all you got is a candle, and you're sleeping in a, a stupid stone room on a, on a... How much confessing can you do? He would get up and confess to say, Yesterday I know I have not loved the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that's how he'd start. And then you see the torment that he had. Yeah, I'd be tormented too. I, I'd, how'd you like to be his priest? Oh, he's back. <laughs> you know, the priest would be saying, well, I wish Jesus would save him. Why? Because he's driving me nuts. See, that's the kind of stuff. Do I understand that? Why? It's the commandments of the Lord. It enlightens my eye. Verse 9 says the fear of the Lord. Where do you learn fear of the Lord? Listen, I don't know about you, and maybe you guys grew up a lot more spiritual than I did. But I got scared is how God got me saved. Okay? And he did it through the word. 
All right, did you know that in most jail cells in America you can get a Bible? Did you know that? That's how I got saved. All right, I, I got a Bible. Why? <laughs> because the lady was bringing a little cart around with books. All that was left was the Bible. Oh, I'll go ahead and look at that silly thing. I carried one for years. You know where I started reading? I, I'm just one of them guys who reads novels. You read the last first, so you can figure out if the novel is any good, whether it's going to be worth my reading. So I grabbed this big old book called the Bible, and I went to the, the last book. How does it end? Oh, no. That sounds awful. All right? And it was through that I had a fear. Now we have a reverence. Do we have a reverence for God? Look at some of the stuff that we call worship. You know, there are 49 chapters dealing with worship, two dealing with creation. I'm thinking we got something here that's kind of important. What do you think? And yet, anytime I worship the way I want to worship, the true term of that is blasphemy. It's blasphemy. How do you learn that? Well, from a fear of the Lord, from a reverence of God. Who is he? And I'm not talking about this quaking in your boots, you know, revelations getting ready to come and all that. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about, yes, you can call him Abba Father. How do you learn that? Sound doctrine. He is my papa. I was in Israel and heard these kids running around going, Abba, Abba, Abba. And I kept thinking, wow, cool. These little kids all wanting toys just like kids here. Fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. Do you understand how long it endures? It's forever. And you know what? I, I don't know how long that is. I don't know how to define that. It's just a long time. And then it goes on. It's forever. Why? There's a reverence of the Lord that endures forever. Godly men were carried away by the Spirit, whether it be John, whether it be Ezekiel, whether it be Isaiah, whether it be Jeremiah, whether it was uh, Paul. When they got to see him, their first response was, "Uh uh-oh. Okay, that's my paraphrasing of it. Whoa, uh uh-oh. I mean, and you know, that's what I'm going to do. Uh-oh. What else are you going to do? You're only going to see him in his glory. Remember when Jesus pulled back the veil on the Mount of the Transfiguration? He pulled back his humanity and Peter looked at it and said, I think we ought to build an altar here. That's the kind of way I'd do it. Oh, man, I'm thinking, uh uh-oh. I mean, when I think about an angel going to Samson's father and saying, you're going to have a son and he will be a judge of the people, Samson comes back and tells his wife, ah, we're going to die. And that was just an angel. How do you learn these things? Understanding his judgments. Understanding that the fear of the Lord is enduring forever. It is pure. It is clean. It helps you. It will strengthen you. The judgments of the Lord are true and they are all are righteous altogether. You know what the word righteous is, right? Right standing before God. But anytime you see that, it's right standing before God. God looks at it and says, yes, this is absolutely right. Okay, it's not close. Remember, he came out. He says, the law of the word, Lord is only perfect. Verse 10 says, they are more desirable than gold. Yes, much fine gold, sweeter than the honey and the dippings of the honeycomb. Are they? When you look around Christendom today, do you see the saints of God craving the word of God? Like they crave gold? Nah. And yet, Titus was told to go back and put in order that that was lacking. You need to have godly character in men, and you will only get that through the Word of God, sound, sound doctrine. You know what's amazing to me? I do not believe in multiple interpretations of Scripture. You know, in our denomination, I got in trouble for that, preaching that. I do not believe in multiple interpretations. Why? God doesn't communicate in a confusing manner. Same Holy Spirit is in me, the same Holy Spirit was in Paul, the same Holy Spirit is in you people. So how come he would tell you one thing and Paul one thing and me one thing and he doesn't do that? 
He says that there will be a unity. How unified will the body of Christ be? Well, it will only be like God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And by that, the world will know that you are called of God. The key to the division that you see and the disunity that you see is how many people in Christendom today are willing to sit down and reason together from the Word. I don't have all the answers. The book does. It's already there. He already wrote it down. All you have to do is say, show me. I use this illustration in our congregation. You guys, this would be a new one for you guys. My congregation says, I wish you'd find something else. When I was in high school, I had to read uh, Macbeth and then write a paper on what the thing meant. Well, I ain't got a clue what that meant. That's the dumbest thing I ever heard in my life. Okay? But it's always been fascinating to try to figure out what in the world was old Billy thinking. Okay? So I knew Mel Gibson came out and he was going to do Macbeth. And I thought, dude, I am finally going to figure out what Macbeth is. Well, he did Macbeth and I still don't know what in the world that book is about, that story is about. Well, it's this, you know, and I've heard people get up on their, you know what? It's the goofiest thing I've ever read in my life. Okay? Whether it's in a good English or that King's English. I just read that thing and say, that's silly. I would like to set old Billy Shakespeare down and say, what were you thinking? I, I, I don't get this. I got a D on a paper for this. I was scarred for life. I can go to the Holy Scriptures and say, what were you thinking? And the Holy Spirit says, sit down, I'll explain it to you. How great is that? And you wrestle with it. Oh, let me tell you, you'll wrestle with it. That's what they mean to meditate on the Word. I always thought meditating was you took a nap. And then you read it and... I'm meditating. And what I found is, is it means you run that sucker back through your head over and over and over and over and over until God says, you got it yet? And you meditate on it. And I, I mean, he brings me pieces now and says, remember this? And yeah, okay. Do you crave that? Do you crave a rejoicing in your heart? Do you crave, crave having your eyes enlightened? Do you crave being wise when you used to be simple do you crave having your soul restored moreover by them your servant is warned and keeping them there is great reward i don't even need to talk talk to you about great reward great reward is now did you know that i mean heaven is cool i mean don't get me wrong i'm looking for that one all right but do you know that there is now do you know that you can do things for the lord jesus christ that will satisfy you beyond anything this world has to offer you understand that? I preached a sermon to a little bitty church in, I can't say the name of it, it means the city of snakes in Russia. And there was this woman sitting there, I preached Revelation 5, and she, during this sermon, she's crying. Now this is through an interpreter. And this woman come up to me and grabbed my arms and began doing this thing to me, crying and weeping. And she'd take her hair and she would wipe the tears onto my arm. And she says, I praise God for you, is what the interpreter said. I'm not sure. She may have been mad at me. But I watched the Spirit of God through the Word of God move on that woman. And I tell you what, if I never, ever gain anything else, that was worth it. That was worth it. There's a contentment that you have in the things of God. There's a fulfillment that you have in the things of God. And let me tell you something, brother. It will overwhelm you. It will exalt you. It will put you in places you can't eat. It is better than any of the drugs that you could ever get your hands on. It is better than any of the things that this world could ever offer. But you have to read the book. It's that simple. He goes on. A servant is warned, keeping them as great reward. Verse 12, who can discern errors? Acquit me of hidden faults. Who can? God can. He moves on. Keep track of your servant's presumptuous sins. You know what? He's going to keep me back. He protects me. He guards me. That's that legalism thing that I hear people throwing around. I have been called a liberal. I've been called a legalistic. I've been called an antichrist. I've been called this. I've been called that. And you know why? I never will back away from the book. I refuse. Why? I've tried to rest. 
I don't brag about it, but everything the world has to offer, I've tested. It never fulfills, it never completes, it never gives joy. And it definitely will never make you content. Never make you content. Let's go on. Let them rule over me, what? The things of God, the word of God. Then I shall be blameless and I shall be acquitted of the great transgressions. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to your sight. O Lord, my rock, my redeemer. Okay, now I want you to think about something. I intentionally left out the first six verses. And here's the reason I left it out. Verse 1 says, The heavens are telling of the glory of God. Okay, and have you ever looked up in the skies when there ain't, what do we call it now, light pollution or whatever, and see the stars? Get up in the Rocky Mountain, like Rocky Mountain National Park, and look up and see how many stars there are. There's like a whole bunch in there. And it says that the heavens are telling of the glory of God. The expanse is declaring the work of His hands. Okay, and I mean, let's be realistic. Space is like big, isn't it? I mean, I just can't really grasp it. It's just, you know, they start, it's, well, it's 27th power to the billionth thing. And I'm like, oh, what? And it's just big. Okay, cool. Day to day pours forth speech and night to night reveals knowledge. Absolutely, I agree. Look around, look at the stars. Just look at the stars and tell, oh, it was just a random chance. Really? Random chance is T-Rex. Okay? I've driven through T-Rex. That's random chance. Okay? The stars is not random chance. All right. Moves on. There's no speech, nor is there words. And their voice is not heard. Okay? He's saying all of expanse isn't saying anything. It's just there, and it wants you to look at it. And by that, you can know Whoa. All right? Look what else he says. Verse 4. Their line. Okay, now what's he talking about? Stars. Universe, space, all of that. He says, their line has gone out through all the earth. just to the end of the earth. In them he has placed a tent for the sun. You know what that means, right? A shelter for the sun. That's what he's saying. What? Okay, read on. Bridegroom's coming out of his chamber. It rejoices as a strong man to run its course. What's he talking about? Space. All of creation. Okay, now I want you to think about this. Because this text, these first six verses is kind of bizarre. Until we got Hubble Telescope. Until we got Hubble Telescope. I got a friend of mine who works at JPL Lab in California. And he gets to see, one of the first guys could see the pictures out of Hubble. Okay? And he says, one of the things that they're not saying on the news is that all of creation is moving. Everything. As my grandma would say, the whole kit and caboodle. Okay? Now, I want you to think about that something. We're in a solar system that is in a galaxy, which is one of the small galaxies, which is one of billions of galaxies. And all those billions of galaxies, you know what a galaxy is. That's like a whole bunch of stars, a crowd of stars. All right? All of those are moving in absolute unison. And they said that even space itself is moving. David already knew that. That's what David says right here. It is all moving. It is on a course. It is moving from one position to the next position. Everybody says, well, where's that going? To its conclusion. Right? Now, I want to show you something. He says that the fact that all of creation is absolutely in harmony moving does not compare to the Word of God. Because the contrast comes in seven. The law of the Lord perfect restoring the soul you can take the fact that all of creation is moving and it doesn't hold a candle to the truth in the word of God so now do you understand when Paul said Titus I want you to get men of godly character who are clinging to sound doctrine. 
because the word of the Lord is greater than the fact that all of creation is moving. How important is that? He said, go and make disciples of all nations doing what? Teaching them the things that I have taught you. You know what that is, right? Sound doctrine. Teach them the Bible. Not stories about the Bible. Teach them the Bible. Why? Creation isn't moving. And it doesn't even compare to what God will reveal through His holy book. Let's pray. Father, I give you the praise for your word. Father, may we cherish it. May we long for it as gold, as the honey of the honeycomb. Father, may we as children of you be known as children of the book. May we understand and grasp that. May we be bowed before it. Father, may I just cherish this time that you've given me with these precious souls. Father, may they walk stronger. May they hunger and thirst for your righteousness. Father, may they long for you. May they press on for the upward calling of Christ. Father, I just praise you for what you're doing. I praise you through your word. Our souls are restored. Father, may we who are gathered here at this moment be people with restored souls, longing for your word. In Christ's name, amen.